Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup, deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Aero and John Nicholson. Good afternoon and welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast, episode number 207. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me once again, as always, is my good friend, Mr. John Nicholson. John, how you doing, sir? Uh, I'm feeling good, um, but I've I've kind of got this like paranoid feeling. I've been testing out different cameras, and I just got my old camera back, and there's yeah. just, I feel like someone's watching me. <laughs> oh, yeah? You don't feel secure? <laughs> you know, it's just unnerving having three cameras in front of you. And, you know, I, in theory, I should trust the little light to tell me when it's on or not. But, you know, I, I need to get one of those little slidey things. I've been at a tech you conference in a while, and they always have those slidey things. So, um, yeah, the yeah. slidey things I, that cover your webcam. If only that was the least of our security worries these days. Uh, boy, I got to tell you, uh, life is crazy. I mean, hey, you watch the news. Uh, there's been a lot going on, uh, you know, in Ukraine and cyber threats like crazy. Every day, it seems to be, you know, more and more happening. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I keep seeing warnings even from VMware saying, you know, make sure your your passwords are changed. You know, make sure this is be prepared, this and that. And so I thought, hey, it would be a really good time. You know, we've got some really intelligent folks at VMware that work in the cybersecurity area. Uh, and I figured, man, if we could get some of those guys to just maybe school us a little bit on what's going on around the world, what threats are out there and uh, maybe get a quick update on on everything that we need to know. So joining us today from the, you know, he's the head of cybersecurity strategy at VMware, uh, Mr. Tom Kellerman. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So, uh, Tom, uh, you know, I did a little homework. I've read some of the stuff that you've written before, one of which everyone listening yet, yeah, by all means, be sure to read this. I'll leave it in the show notes of the podcast. You wrote a, uh, a write up called Iron Rain, Understanding Nation, State Motives and APT Groups. Uh, I thought that was super interesting. I learned a lot about all the various threats. I'd like to talk a little bit about that, but maybe we can start. Man, I, I know I know your life has been probably super busy these days. Uh, maybe you can just give us an update. Like, how has the landscape evolved over the past year in your world? You know, it's a brave new world. Um, really, what's changed is that many more nation-state actors are creating pox mafiosos with the very best cyber criminals and treating them like proxies to leverage war against the West, particularly from the four rogue nation-states that are quite obvious, what is North Korea, Iran, Russia, and or the one that I won't mention here today. Um, <laughs> but I think it's quite interesting that they see these cyber criminal communities and these cyber crime cartels as national assets. Um, in addition to that, you know, the pandemic was wonderful for cybercrime cartels because traditional criminals and traditional syndicates were unable to manifest criminal conspiracies because of the lockdowns. And so a lot of traditional crime groups began to migrate online and become the consumers of ransomware as a service or uh, access brokerage services or money laundering through Monero, et cetera, et cetera, which then empowered these cyber crime cartels such that they are they are more powerful now than the traditional syndicates of the world that we know of that we watch about in the movies. Um, the final point is there's been a lot of asymmetrical capabilities that have been endowed to various threat actors because of the nexus between intelligence services like Russian intelligence services and the various Russian cyber crime cartels who act out in a patriotic fashion 
fashion when called upon by Mother Russia. Mm. So it's interesting you called out at the beginning this entire thing of ransomware as a service, but this is wild that I've seen reports of ransomware groups who have positions in companies and they, they're basically subcontracting out um, the extortion side or providing like platform as a service. Um, I, I guess everything is going to SaaS as we, we talk about in this industry, but you know, scaling that out, that, how has that changed, I guess, some of the, the scale of these threats or, or the indiscriminate nature of some of the targets? So it, it allows for the neophytes and the traditional criminals to get in the game of launching ransomware attacks, number one. Number two is the majority of systemic ransomware attacks actually begin because there was a rat, a remote access Trojan or backdoor pre-positioned on a system and access to that system was either sold or generously provided to the threat actor group as an homage to whoever they were. Typically, they might be an intelligence you know, group within a, a nation state, and they say, I need access to this entity. And these access brokers are out there, and they say, yes, here you go. I mean, one true access broker out there is called Narnia, uh, and then there's another one called um, Wazawaka. And both of these are directly connected to the Russian state. And both of these individuals are calling out in their forums to take revenge against the West for the economic sanctions that were both leveraged. But, but I think, again... Ransomware is just one form of destructive attack, yeah. and a lot of the a lot of the wipers that are being deployed nowadays operate like ransomware in terms of how they spread and move through systems. But they overwrite the data, um, and they overwrite the system in perpetuity uh, to punish the victim. And we saw this at beginning in 2014 when the Russians launched NotPetya against Ukraine, which is the first destructive systemic attack. It damaged major corporations, et cetera. Uh, but the irony of NotPetya was NotPetya was a weapon that was stolen from Vault 7, which was the cyber weaponry vaults of the NSA and CIA by the shadow brokers. And the shadow brokers were a collective of cyber criminals and cyber spies from Russia that worked together to steal that weaponry. So it's just quite fascinating yeah. um, when you think of what, what's happening out there. Hey, I guess we arms proliferation concerns of of you know, having um, some of your tools exposed or, or borrowed can uh, have some significant implications. Yeah. You know, when I even think of ransomware, when I think of cyber attacks, that's the first one that comes to my mind, you know, maybe a virus or ransomware where, oh, they stole my data, you know, and then I have to think of a plan to get my data. But it seems like, you know, especially after reading uh, your paper about all the various types of advanced persistent threats, you know, it's more than just, you know, oh, I'm going to take your data. Like they're literally shutting down systems and taking away power from, you know, entire cities and things like that. What are the various threats? And then as a follow on, like what's happening now with these various threats to like power, et cetera? And, and are those things like, aren't they those things? Could they potentially be considered like acts of war? So the Russians have have a handful of groups that are quite prolific. Um, you've got Sandworm, you've got Turla, APT28, APT29, and Nobelium. Um, Sandworm was typically the most destructive in the attacks that they've launched in the history of the world. Um, and recently, they just produced a brand new type of attack called uh, Cyclops Blink, which allowed them to botnet uh, firewalls around the world and then use that botnet to distribute hermetic wiper, uh, which is a wiping capability, a wiper that acts like ransomware and that overwrites systems that's being widely deployed against the Ukrainian critical infrastructure community as we speak. Um, but the attacks in this in this war, and I'll say war, 
It truly began and through a hybrid sense to, to prepare the battle space uh, back on the 13th of January. So on the 13th of January was when uh, Dev0586 was discovered, which was a wiper that operated like ransomware that was hitting uh, Ukrainian targets followed by significant DDoS attacks on the back end. A lot of the DDoS attacks, mind you, are really meant to um, slow the defenders. You know, they set your front yard on fire and you're all rushing out there to put it out and they're creeping through the back door while all your resources are trying to stop the DDoS attack. So they create that fog of war. But then everything really, really escalated on, on the 23rd of February. And that's when Cyclops Blink was released, very elegant piece of code that allowed you to compromise numerous firewalls around the world. I mean, obviously numerous, thousands of firewalls, and then use them as an attack platform. And then Hermetic Wiper as well um, was being deployed through that and was being deployed into systems, which we've mentioned. As of late, you're seeing Conti, uh, famous ransomware group, uh, probably the most prolific, uh, declare their allegiance to Russia, uh, threaten uh, U.S. and Western targets, and Conti distributing um, a lot of their attacks through uh, the TrickBot botnet, which a lot of people say, it's dead, it's not there anymore, and that's BS. Same thing, Emotet is being widely used in, 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 as a platform for attacks and leveraging destructive attacks. And a lot of people will say, Emotet's gone. No, Emotet isn't gone. None of these things ever really go away. It's just a question of active command and control. So I was going to say, previously, I mean, wasn't there kind of a list of red lines that were that normally you didn't see threat actors cross of, okay, well, you know, occasionally they would extort a hospital, but it was frankly more on accident, I felt like sometimes. And to a certain degree, like certain critical infrastructure um, it, it caused bad PR and you would actually occasionally see threat actors like apologize and be like, here's the key or, Hey, we'll give you a discount or something. Um, as insane as this sounds, but w at what point in the more recent past did these attacks just be become more normalized to hit critical infrastructure? Uh, 2021, 2020, 2021, but 21, there was a, I think from my perspective, and I say this, you know, as a global fellow for cyber policy at the Wilson Center and as a professor of international affairs at American University, I'll say this. I think a red line was crossed. You know, typically the red lines established by the West were you don't target hospitals, um, you don't target, you know, energy grids, um, you don't result in the kinetic effect or death of humanity through your attack. Um, and our response would always be proportionate, but never really truly offensive, but just proportionate defensive response. Um, that changed back in the fall of 2021. So when the U.S. government and Chris Krebs, who was running CIS at the time, and the FBI Director Ray pointed out that the TrickBot, botnet, again, TrickBot, uh, was being used to not only disseminate uh, disinformation, but to target um, various aspects of American society. And they went after with Microsoft and some other tech companies and a very prog progressive, proactive campaign to shut down TrickBot. The immediate response from the group that ran TrickBot was to launch Ryuk ransomware attacks against over 137 hospitals in the U.S. during a pandemic. During a pandemic. No way. Yeah, okay. that's, a pandemic that's affecting everyone. So that's the fall of 2020, and and that was a red line, and and that was a definitive red line. And there've been studies that showed that patient care was slowed for heart attack patients for everyone else, and it probably resulted in the death of people uh, because you know it, it took an extra you know five to seven minutes to react to the patient. Um, so yes, I do think red lines have been crossed. They're being continually crossed now. Um, 
cyber attacks are manifesting in the real world, specifically with, you know, Dev 0586 and the Hermetic Wiper, um, and then the use of Conti ransomware, not Petio style. Um, so we should pay very close attention. Uh, and I will say, though, that the reason why you haven't seen a lot of successful, significant systemic destructive attacks in the U.S. has been unprecedented information sharing from CISA and the JCDC uh, to the major tech companies, number one. Number two, the Shields Up campaign, uh, how we're defending ourselves, how we're working as a collective of companies to defend against the landscape is unprecedented. And, and then finally, the Russian threat actor groups have had their hand full with the Ukrainian IT army, which doesn't just consist of Ukrainian IT professionals, and Anonymous targeting them themselves. So they have to play a little defense. Whoa. Um, Whoa. But I will think that it's inevitable that we will see a systemic destructive attack in the, in the West, in the U.S., uh, particularly after we just sanctioned uh, their number one commodity, which is oil. Oh yeah, my my opinion is that things are going to start to t- start to happen now. I mean, that's that's pretty much. I I actually heard on NPR uh, that that in itself, though sanctioned, can be considered an act of war in the eyes of Russia, which means you know all bets are off. You know, in cyber attacks could certainly be on the rise. Uh, Putin just said last night, or I guess this morning, to the Russian people that uh, the sanctions represent uh, an act of war, an economic act of war. And so I think the response would likely be cyber to that because they can't actually affect our economy beyond that. Okay. So what can you tell me what exactly is counter IR? Yeah. And this is a disturbing trend. So VMware acquired a company called Carbon Black, where I was chief cybersecurity officer. And Carbon Black never provided IR services or MDR services back then. We partnered with over 140 IR firms and MDR firms who used our threat hunting tool that we pioneered called EDR in their investigations. So every year we wrote a report saying, what are you guys seeing out there? Hmm. What are you seeing out there? And do you see evidence of things like counter IR? So counter IR is when an adversary decides to fight back. They don't run out of the system. Um, They do things like manipulating timestamps, disabling uh, security controls, um, polluting the integrity of data going to the SEM. Um, All the way through, they escalate to a destructive attack where they'll drop ransomware in your system just to punish you and cripple you. And they don't actually want ransom. They just want to slow you down or drop a wiper in your system in the same vein. Um, And this has been flourishing. So it just really highlights the, the punitive Machiavellian tendencies of some of these uh, Russian cybercrime cartels and Southeast Asian cybercrime cartels. They don't want to leave the system. They want to own you in perpetuity. They don't just break in and steal from you or extort you. They want to stay inside of you forever. And frankly, inevitably, they want to use your digital transformation to attack your constituency. They want to hijack your cloud, your infrastructure, and then use it to push further attacks against everyone who trusts you and your brand. Um, And that is becoming much more of a, a phenomenon and a problem. And I'll just say it highlights how we have to change how we defend. We have to defend from within now. We have to assume that the adversary wants to conduct a home invasion during Thanksgiving dinner. They don't just want to break in and steal your wife's jewelry. And so how do you defend against that phenomenon is really how do you go beyond zero trust? And I think under the leadership of Alex Toshev and others, uh, we have really taken a forward-leaning approach to defending VMware's infrastructure from becoming the next solar winds. And I applaud that. So you, you talk about using the digital transformation, you know, efforts against you. I assume you're talking about trying to infect the actual software, kind of like what happened with SolarWinds through their um, CI CD pipelines and things like that. For, for a tech company, sure. But for a, 
any other traditional company, I'll call this island hopping, not supply chain attacks, because when they break into a financial institution, they also attempt to use the network of the financial institution, the O365 environment or the website or mobile app to then target their customers, their partners, et cetera. And so needless to say, the shift from a burglary to a home invasion is really what's occurring here. They don't want to leave the environment, which is why they fight back with counter incident response. And when they realize that you're finally going to push them out of the environment, that's when they use destructive attacks to punish you. And this is in a non-geopolitical world, non-geopolitical tension, just a traditional cybercrime cartel coming after you. When you insert politics into this and the failure of democracy, uh, diplomacy in this or the failure of, um, I don't even know what, norms of behavior as we're seeing on the world stage now, things become uh, chaotic. And again, that just goes back to the original premise of, of normalizing chaos, um, which is really what the, the Eastern country Russia likes to do. Yeah, it seems like that's going to be the new normal, isn't it? <laughs> for at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, what, do, what do you think uh, for, for VMware administrators that are listening out there? Like, what advice do you have for customers at this time that are, you know, VMware shops? Like, any, any input, any thoughts about what people should be considering these days? Yeah, I mean, harden your systems according to our best practices. Turn on the security controls and functionalities that are built into vSphere or Horizon or um, the Anywhere workspace currently. Um, begin to work with SecOps to expand threat hunting. Become watchers on the wall. Just because you're an administrator doesn't mean you don't have a part to play in securing the organization. Uh, we need more of you to become active. Um, and then most importantly, you know, pay attention to the updates that we provide to our fabric. Um, when we release an update, uh, it should be your number one priority to deploy that. Uh, and, and then lastly, you know, really focus on this construct of just-in-time administration. No one should have perpetual administrative rights, even an administrator. And for that matter, you know, do a better job of defending Active Directory, assessing whether there's anomalies occurring in Active Directory, because the majority of breaches, you know, the second or third stage of that attack of that kill chain will involve compromise and, and manipulation of active directory that's that's something i really loved in the the paper that pete's going to post in the show notes was talking about learning what's normal um because that's something even from my own experience i remember looking at you know in log analytics systems coming up the feeds off of active directory and you know your, your typical user might have a couple hundred events in a day or something because of their usage patterns and then when you see some user having you know a hundred thousand events and it's like oh they've been compromised they're sending out you know things from exchange the exchange server is showing that one mailbox is trying to send a hundred thousand emails learning what those normals are and then adjusting your alarm so you don't get fatigue off of that but you know, looking at your file server and saying, okay, you know, anytime a user tries to write a hundred files within an hour, that's some automated process. Identifying, you know, what the normal is. That was one of my favorite elements of that paper. And for the for the security professionals out there, your number one challenge has always been the lack of integration of your security controls. And at a minimum, your network detection response capabilities should be integrated with your endpoint detection response capabilities. So you have ground truth. So you have uh, context. So, uh, and, and with that, that's how you should proceed with your investigations. And if you feel like you're under-resourced or you don't have the personnel or the budget to, to accomplish true security against what I've described, realize that by conducting regular threat hunting and then producing translatable reports to senior management forces them to act. Because if they don't act, they become cr criminally negligent to a threat that truly exists, not a theoretical. Because a threat hunt, you've identified a behavioral anomaly or an adversary that is already present in the infrastructure. It's not like conducting a vulnerability scan. And theoretically, this vulnerability could be compromised, but I don't have the time or the cycles to patch it now. 
No, I, I like that for helping make management aware, because if you show them that you're, you know, if, if you don't spend anything on security, you don't spend any time on it, you'll never find the breach, you know, particularly as part of those long term campaigns. But if you can identify those anomalies and do that, that that shows that there's value in continuing that investment. And don't forget that you need to educate your leaders and your CEO and the board that the game has changed. The adversary's goal is to use our infrastructure to attack our constituency, not trying to solve for just burglary, break in, theft of intellectual property or financial data. Yes, you're going to solve for that inevitably. You're not trying to solve for just um, regulatory fines or impositions uh, by regulators. And you're not trying to solve for just resiliency. Because frankly, resiliency, as important as it is, controversial as this may seem, resilient to whom? If the adversary already has a backdoor in your system and you have a resilient infrastructure, then you're providing that same level of resiliency to an adversary who will use your infrastructure to attack your customers. Well, that whole idea of attacking your customers, because that seems to be like it's actually causing real reputational damage. Um, we're seeing that as opposed to before. And I'm, I don't mean to pick on Target here, but like Target or Home Depot where they had credit card breaches. You know, I had to get a new credit card. But if you look at their stock, there was no material impact from those events. Um, there was a mild annoyance. And that's kind of how we thought about these things in the past of just typical steel credit cards. Um, but if suddenly, you know, everyone has the target target app installed, you know, gets their mm-hmm. phone compromised, and then that causes other companies to be compromised. And then, you know, people's security team say, well, you can't have that app installed because or we're going to stop doing business with this um, network monitoring vendor because they were compromised. That's that's real material damage um, that you're going to have to answer to some very angry shareholders um, and executives on. That's why every, even if you have a robust SecOps capability, you should be buttressed by a a solid MDR, managed detection response company and firm that's providing you with with kind of aerial coverage, uh, per se, um, for those type of behavioral anomalies that may be manifesting that you don't pick up on. Um, We provide, we have an MDR service at VMware. It's part of the Carbon Black portfolio, but we also partner with some of the best MDRs in the world, like Red Canary and others. Um, And so it's fundamental that you invest in having an MDR and MDR capabilities uh, to provide you with air cover. Um, One last point on that is moving forward, you really just need to spin the chessboard. You need to defend from within. But to achieve that, I really think there are a lot of things out there that just haven't been widely utilized that are important in today's world. Um, like, can you automate a detection program within Active Directory um, for any kind of behavioral anomalies within Active Directory or uh, a strange addition of significant amounts of administrative credentials or super user credentials uh, within Active Directory? Do you use application control? Application control is such a powerful solution and you do it in high enforcement. Um, why is that important? Because the majority of attacks nowadays are not coming through spear phishing. Um, they're either coming through a pre-existing backdoor in a system as part of your information supply chain, or they're coming through application attacks, or they're coming through exploitation of vulnerabilities. Um, I mean, this year alone, there have been over 120 high-impact vulnerabilities that have been ex- successfully exploited in the wild. And then lastly, they're targeting you through your APIs. I mean, API security is a fundamental construct of surviving in today's world, particularly when even the banks and the the defense industrial base consider themselves tech companies now, and they're building out these intricate platforms uh, based on API. But I do want to bring you back to one thing, to the point of attacking you to get to your customers. Nobelium, right after President Biden met with President Putin in Geneva and threatened him about cyber, um, he escalated. And what he escalated was the Nobelium attack campaign which targeted dozens of MSPs around the world, dozens of them, and then used the compromise of those MSPs to target their constituency, Um, much like in the report. I mean, to me, that is iron rain. 
And so we need to pay close attention to who's providing services to us and how they protect themselves and whether or not they're doing threat hunting and whether or not they can lock down applications and whether or not they themselves are hardening their infrastructure and, and updating their patches. Wow. Yeah. Again, just that that whole, you know, using someone to attack their customers, you may think, well, I we just service, the, you know, air conditioning units. But if you have IoT devices inside customer networks, you know, they're, they're really boring people before who would have said, if you talk to them about security, you know, their CIO would have said, we don't have any intellectual property. We assemble three components and we ship them and we service them. They're becoming part of that attack chain. And so the people who previously would have had pretty weak security posture are now going to have to to wise up to that or start getting a lot of, you know, intensive requests coming, um, you know, upstream from their large customers, which they may not be ready for. One form of island hopping is called reverse business email compromise. Um, we all know what business email compromise is. This is not that. This is, they, they Turla, a very famous Russian attack group, pioneered this, this modus operandi. They, they jack administrative rights to your O365 environment. And then they'd use narrow-based machine learning to look at recent communications of the executives of your organization communicating with the outside world. And they evaluate significant personalities in the outside world, whether they're your board members, significant partners. And then they use that machine learning to construct messaging very similar to what the executive sent from within the account of your executive because they have full control over O365. So they'll even misspell the same way your executives, you know, misspell words or use the same grammar problems. Oh, so the yeah. same vernacular, same themes of conversation. And then they don't attach a payload. They use fileless malware that's sent from your O365 environment, literally yours, <laughs> to a customer or partner or board member of yours to conduct this form of island hop. Um, and that's where things really get interesting as because you see that blend of tradecraft through intelligence services um, with with criminal conspiracy. That is unbelievable. That that's that's mind blowing actually that that can actually happen. Jeez. Okay. Well, because think about how you defend you know your email, your exchange server, your O365 environment. You're looking to see is it pushing out malware? Is it pushing out spam? <laughs> Does everyone have connective tissue to it that needs to right? And then is it inside my perimeter? If all that's good, then are you really looking to see? looking for fileless malware to be selectively spearfished from your own environment to the external world. Yeah, that's my whole point. That Everything that you said before that sounds so 2008. <laughs> I, I had a customer one time who misinstalled a, this was very many years ago, they, they had a Barracuda web filter. This is probably 10, 12 years ago. They installed it backwards, like physically the ports in the wrong direction. And they had pretty bad internal security controls. And we made a lot of jokes of like, well, it is protecting, you know, your customers from you. So, um, you know, this I, I've seen someone accidentally do this, I guess. But uh, no, I, I, it does need to be something that, you know, I guess the SOC needs to be aware of and be focused on is what's leaving our network because it's it's going to lead to reputational damage. It may not damage us directly, but it, I mean, it will very much indirectly. And going forward, you know, the future of island hopping is cloud jacking. Um, and really, particularly we at VMware know that not all clouds are equal. Not all clouds are secured in the same fashion. People need to just remember the single tenant of, you know, moving to the cloud, you're moving to an apartment building or a condo in a tough neighborhood. And how you protect, <laughs> how you protect your condo or apartment from your neighbors, how you, you know, provide access and how you prevent, you know, 
infestations or fires within your unit is solely dependent on you. Yeah, it's a brilliant analogy. Unfortunately, even if you stay home on premises, it's a tough neighborhood as well. So you got to find refuge somewhere. So but it's exciting to so cloud jacking. Is that like a full on attack of, of a cloud environment? Yeah, you, you take over the cloud environment and you push you know, attacks against the constituency of that environment, which is why workload security is so important. That's why we've invested so heavily in workload security. And that's also by being able to transfer and migrate workload security between multi-cloud environments is so important. And so many things. <laughs> well, Tom, uh, this, uh, I want to thank you. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but the, I will leave the link to the show notes of that uh, document that you wrote. It's interesting that it was written a year ago, but it's so relevant <laughs> now. And it just seems like everything I was reading could have been written last week. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, for VMware customers out there, be sure to read it. Uh, but also, uh, Tom, where can people go to find more to, to stay up to date with uh, any cyber threats uh, from a VMware perspective? Yeah, so we have a Howlers page. Um, Howlers, it's a group of us security experts, me, um, within the organization, as well as within our partner community of threat hunters. These are all people who are trained in threat hunting, as well as um, my Twitter account. I typically post relevant threat information and thoughtful uh, threat information, not specific to VMware, but specific to the some of the better people in the world at, um, at TA Kellerman. You can feel free to follow me there. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be in the links as well as uh, on the screen as as for the folks that are watching this video. So, uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining uh, the Virtually Speaking podcast this week. And hopefully as things progress, it'll be good news. But we'd love to have you come back and give us an update from time to time. Yeah, thank you. And I just want to leave your audience with the perspective that, you know, security is brand protection now. Um, you have to defend from within. Um, you have to check every room in your house before you turn on the alarm and lock the doors at night. And, and that really requires you to, to integrate your security controls, uh, to start thinking like the adversary uh, and conduct more threat hunting, please. Yeah, that is, that is wise information right there. Thanks, Tom. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. And so if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast at vmware.com. You can subscribe to us at your podcast app of choice by searching Virtually Speaking Podcast. You can catch this in all episodes at vspeakingpodcast.com. A big thanks to Tom Kellerman for joining us this week and giving us all that cybersecurity information. We're back next week, but until then, bye for now. Tom, that was awesome. I really appreciate it, my friend. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, guys.